For us as Christians, we believe uh, that God is a personal God. We believe that he knows you by name, that he knows everything about you, that he knows your every thoughts, and he loves you. There was a famous pastor named A.W. Tozer, and he once said, Jesus Christ knows you individually, as though there were not another person in the entire world. He died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. In this passage, Luke, he talks about these two people. And these two people, you see, cannot be more different from each other. One is very rich. One is very successful. One is at the very top of the social status. And yet the other is completely lost, is outcasted, is marginalized, is at the very, very lowest rung. In fact, what we see is that scholars say Luke does this on purpose to show us one thing, that the gospel is powerful enough to meet any person exactly where they are. It doesn't matter what your struggles are. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you have not done. Jesus Christ can change your life today. For me, I think one of the greatest joys in ministry has been hearing the testimonies of so many people. And one of the great testimonies that I've heard so many times is that they have been living away from the Lord, that they have never gone to church, that maybe they've gone to church a long time ago but have stopped for a long time, and yet when they hear the gospel, it hits them like a ton of bricks and their lives are forever changed. It's such a blessing to hear those. It gets me pumped up. And yet on the flip side, I've also heard so many stories of those who have gone to church their entire lives, who have always been surrounded by godly mentors, by other brothers and sisters, and they only realized later that God was gently and yet surely molding them into the believer that he wanted. God is able to do both, and he is able to do both perfectly. And I think for a lot of us, we have this misconception when we read or hear about a story, God, I want that type of experience. And yet, don't you realize that God knows you far better than you know yourself? That he knows your wants and he knows your needs exactly as they should be. And because he knows them so well, the way that he's going to speak to you, the successes and failures that he places in your life, the way that he matures you is exactly the way that it should be for you. He's not going to give you the testimony of, of John Doe. That's, that's for John. He's going to give you the testimony for you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. That's our personal God. Isaiah 43.1, it says that. He says, look, I know you. I remember you. I know your name. It's not just your name, your, your physical name. He's saying, I know your character. I know everything about you. And that's why I'm going to lead you in this direction. Church, the gospel is personal to each one of you. It is contextualized into exactly what you need to hear. And the people around us as well, the people that you have been praying for, 
the people that you think aren't going to change, the people who have reached the pinnacle of success and also the lowest of lows, the gospel is able to speak to them as well. And we're going to see that in this passage. Because we're going to see two people, and we're going to see how the gospel reached them in powerful and unique ways. The first person is Lydia, and we're going to look at the story of Lydia. And then we're going to switch gears, and we're looking at the story of the slave girl. And we're going to see in both their lives that God was able to move powerfully. Let me read to you verses 1 to 3. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So now, before we even go into the story of Lydia and the slave girl, what we read here in the very beginning is that Paul, he partners with this guy named Timothy. Now, what we read is that Timothy gets circumcised, and then they go on their missionary journey. Now, there's two thoughts here. First is, ow, right, that must have hurt. Second is, why did Timothy get circumcised? Because, I mean, wasn't it just last week, one chapter before this, that there was this huge debate that happened? Do you guys remember that? Where Paul and Barnabas and Peter, they were trying to defend the faith against these Pharisees who believed that you needed to get circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas, they spend so much time, they argue so strongly for the truth of the gospel, that is only the gospel that can save you, that circumcision cannot save you. In other words, that circumcision is meaningless. And yet, right afterwards, literally in the first couple verses, it says that Paul circumcises Timothy. I mean, what happens? Well, here's what happened. Timothy was perfect for missions. What we know is that he was half Jewish and that he was half Greek. And so in other words, he would be able to speak to the Gentiles, to the Greek people, and also still have the respect of the Jews in a way that Paul wouldn't be able to. He would be so good for the mission field. However, what we also know is that wherever they go, the first people that they're going to meet are the religious leaders. The first places that they go are always the synagogues and the temples. And so before they're even able to spread the gospel, before they're even able to say a single word, these religious leaders are going to ask one thing. They're going to say, are you circumcised? Because you see, for these religious leaders, they still believed that that's how you were saved. For many of these religious leaders, they still believe that circumcision was that important. And so they realized for Paul and Timothy that if Timothy wasn't circumcised, it would immediately deter people from hearing the gospel. Because if they said no, then no way would they even hear the words that were coming out from Paul. And so what Paul made sure to do, and this is important, is that he made sure that there were no barriers for people to hear the gospel. He made sure that for him and Timothy, 
that they were not going to do anything to deter people or for them to have people look anywhere else other than the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for them, if there was something that they could do or that they didn't do or didn't have to do, they made sure not to do those things because they wanted people to focus upon the gospel. Church, this is such an important mindset. Is this your mindset as well? Do you have this type of kingdom perspective where you're going to say, look, no matter what, even if this isn't necessarily a bad thing, even if this isn't necessarily something that's sinful, I'm going to not do this because I know that it can detract away from the gospel. Because for us, we have the belief and the power of the gospel, right? We believe that. We trust that. We love hearing that. And yet what we don't like hearing is that we have a part to play in the gospel. And that's to make sure that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt, that we live differently from other people. And that's a hard thing for us to hear because I have so many people who come up to me and they say, look, Pastor Danny, I love going to bars. I love going to clubs. I love going to drink and do all this stuff. And look, in the Bible, it doesn't say that that's wrong, right? And yes, absolutely, going to bars, going to clubs, it may not be wrong. Of course not. However, is it, distra- is it distracting away from the gospel? When people come to you and ask, is it moving them closer to the gospel or away f- from them from the gospel? That has to be your question, church. There's nothing wrong with going to those, place- with those, going to those places. Paul, he speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 10.23. And he says it. He, he's very clear about this. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. That has to be your mindset, church. Is me going to this place? Is me dressing this way? Is me saying these words, is it creating a barrier for someone to hear the gospel? That has to be our mindset. And so what we see here is that Paul and Timothy, he, they begin their missionary journey. And they first meet a woman named Lydia. Verse 14, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatria a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of, good, of, of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, there's a couple things that we know about Lydia. First is that she's rich. Second is that she's driven. Now, I know that a lot of you have heard this before, but uh, what we know about the color purple is that it's the color of royalty. And the reason why it was the color of royalty was because it was so, so rare to get that color. Back then, the only way that you would be able to get that color of purple would be to go to the sea and get a specific type of sea snail. And what you would have to do is break it and apply that, the, the blood and, and the, the, the guts of it to the dye. And that's what would make it purple. Now, scholars say that you would need 12,000 of these sea snails 
in order to dye enough for one robe. That was how precious this dye was. And this is what we know about Lydia, that she was rich, that she had a business mind, that she was wise in terms of growing this. We know that she was accomplished, that she was successful, and that she was driven. But not only that, verse 14, it says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, what that means is not that she was a worshiper of Jesus Christ, but that she was just simply a morally good person. In other words, she made sure to follow the laws of the Old Testament, of the Torah. She made sure to do business right. She, she was a good person in society. Other, per, other people respected her. She, she did things well. And yet, what we also know is that something was off. Because what we know is that she was yearning for something that Paul was finally able to give her in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this comes to the point, church, is that no matter how successful you are, no matter how driven you may be, your worldly successes will never satisfy you in the way that Jesus Christ can. And the reason is really simple. It's because you are trying to fill something within your heart that only God is able to fill. This is the danger of success because we think that it can fulfill a need within us that can never truly be filled. And the danger, especially with success, is that when you get to a certain level, you can never have enough of it. And so you go higher and higher and higher, and the higher you go, the more that you believe is due to your own willpower, is due to your own abilities, and due to how smart you are. You know, Tim Keller, he says that success is one of the greatest dangers that we can ever face. Isn't that interesting? He says that in his book, Counterfeit Gods, more than any other idol, success leads to a sense that we are God. Because what it does is it deflates our deficiencies and inflates our self-worth. We think that because we're successful and we're smart that it was due to us, and therefore we have to have all the answers. And what that happens is that our opinions, our thoughts, take center stage because our experience with our success backs that up. And so we just grow in our heads more and more and more. You know, for me, the hardest group to counsel and give biblical advice are not those who have reached the very lowest of lows, who, who have sinned constantly and again and again. One of the hardest groups to counsel and give biblical advice are those that are rich, those that are smart, and those that are successful in their field. Because success clouds the way that you think. And it tells you that you are right because it's been working up until now. But the gospel is so opposite because it says that you are not the center of the universe. It says that it was not due to your work. It says that everything was given to you through grace in Jesus Christ. Church, what we know is that there's nothing wrong with being successful. Don't, don't misconstrue my words. After Lydia became a believer, 
It doesn't say that she sold all her belongings and then lived as a homeless person or whatever. No, no, no. She was rich before she was a believer, and she was rich after she was a believer. It's a good thing to be successful in the world. However, the difference with Lydia was that she made sure to use her success as a means to glorify God. That's going to be the point for us, church. Success by itself, as an ends to itself, will never satisfy. And yet, the reason why I can confidently pray for our businesses and our church to do well, the reason why I can pray that, man, people who are wealthy would come into our church is because the way that I praise God, I want and I desire these things so that we can send out more missionaries so that we can support more missionaries abroad, so that we can support and fund mission organizations, so that we can further the work of the kingdom, so we can glorify you more. Church, that has to be our mindset as we think about success. If our end goal is just money, if it's just reputation, if it's just worldly success, then guess what? We will wake up richer and we will wake up more discontent with our lives. And so what I ask for you is that you would work hard, that you would be driven, but that you would pray whether you succeed or whether you fail, that you would give God the glory. Amen? After Lydia hears the gospel, verse 15 says, she was baptized in her household as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, Here, what we know is that even though explicitly it doesn't say that Lydia was a believer or didn't become a believer, there are two markers that show us that she became a Christian. First is that she was baptized. Baptism, what we know, is a sign to others that you understand and that you believe in the gospel. Second is that she asked them to stay at her home. Now, this is a really basic but important application that once God opens up your heart to Christ, you begin to open up your wallet and your resources and your time to people. This is one of the clearest indications that you understand the grace of God. Because once God shows you what he's done, you will naturally respond in grace to others. If you have been forgiven of a life-shattering debt upon your life, then the natural response is going to be to forgive that other person of that $10 debt that they owe you. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone who is generous with their resources and time is a Christian. However, if you are a Christian, then you will be more generous and patient and giving with your resources, and with your time, okay? Now, after Lydia, we go to the second story of the slave girl. Now, Luke, he presents this girl in an entirely different way. The reason I keep saying slave girl is because, to be honest, we don't even know her name. We don't know anything about her. What we do know is that she was being peddled around, that she was being prostituted for her gifts, that they were making money off of her. And so what we know is that she wasn't really a person, she was just a possession. She was just a thing to be used. 
She was on the lowest end of the social ladder. Now, this girl, she's being used to tell people's fortune. And what we know is that she had a demon within her to be able to do this. And once she sees Paul, she follows him around in verse 17, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, the first thing this shows us is that knowing about Jesus Christ is not the same thing as trusting in him. Having a lot of knowledge about God is not going to save you. It's not going to really do anything. Having a lot of knowledge about God is a good thing, but it's not going to be the final thing. James 2.19 is very clear about this. It says, you believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. You see, James, he's asking you this one question. Do you trust in God, or do you just know a lot about him? And these are two very different things, church. And for those of us who have been coming to church for a while, this is my question I pose to you, and I hope that you spend some time and reflect upon this within your heart. Because you know the saying, just because you enter a garage doesn't mean you're a car. Same thing, just because you enter a church, just because you go to a Bible study, just because you pray a lot, it doesn't mean that you are a Christian. It doesn't mean that you are born again. The question is, do you know a lot about him or do you truly trust him as your Lord and Savior? Now, verse 17 says, and, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having, be, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, scholars, they debate a lot about this verse because when you read it, it seems very strange because is being annoyed uh, uh, a right enough reason to, to do exorcism. You know, it seems kind of a, a strange thing. It, it seems like it would make more sense for someone as, as respected as Paul to, to look upon the slave girl with compassion, right? And with tears in his eyes, with his voice shaking, saying, I want to save, right? Something like that. But all it says here is that he was greatly annoyed. For me, when I study this, all I can imagine is, you know that look, like, like this? Like, he was just so angry, right? Because this girl just kept on following him, shouting this stuff. Now, scholars, one thing that they say is, maybe the, the, the girl she was uh, saying, when she was saying the most high God, she was referring to uh, Zeus or Apollo. And so therefore, you know, Peter, uh, so Paul, he wanted to make sure that, you know, that she wasn't spreading anything false, and, and that's why she ended up doing that. Or that's why Paul ended up casting it out. But for me personally, I honestly just think that Paul was really annoyed. And the reason why I believe that is because it shows me that the Bible is true. That is not some exaggerated fiction that they try to wrap up these words to, to mean a certain thing. What the Bible, what it shows me is that the Bible is a historical narrative, that it's facts here. That the lives of Paul and Barnabas and Timothy, although they were great lives, 
They were humans. And we see that, man, even Paul gets annoyed that even these people, they, they do these things. And what that also leads me to believe is that if they weren't exaggerating about Paul or Barnabas or Timothy, they're not exaggerating about Jesus Christ. That the words he said are true. That the words he said are his. And that the actions he did were his as well. And so I place my trust upon the Bible that it is inerrant, that it is true, and that nothing can change that, right? Do you believe that too? Amen? Now, Paul, he speaks into this girl, and her life is changed. It's fascinating when you see this, the, the, the dichotomy of these two stories, because this slave girl has nothing, and she's been used her entire life, and yet she's been freed by the Holy Spirit. What we know about the slave girl is that she was oppressed, she was marginalized, she was deemed worthless by everyone, even herself. I believe that, man, when she looked at her life, she had no hope for the future. And yet in one moment, in one second, her life was completely changed. And for many of us, when we look at this girl, at least before, we say, man, we look at her with so much pity. And yet, church, do you realize that we were once the same? That for us, our sins separated us from a holy God, and we were cast out from him. But the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ, that even though he was everything, he made himself nothing. And the way he did that was he humbled himself and he died on the cross for our sins. He died so that we, who were deemed worthless, can now be true sons and daughters of God. You have been given a new life by Jesus. What a blessing. What a gift. What a present. Church, what we see is, is that just these two stories, man, they show us the power of the gospel. It shows us that the words of God and the actions of Jesus Christ can meet anyone exactly where they are. And this includes you today. That whether that's in the story of Lydia, and man, you struggle. You struggle with the idol of success. And man, you just need, that you desire money. You desire reputation. You desire these different things. Man, I pray that you would give it up to the Lord because God is pivoting your heart. He is changing you. The gospel is able to change your life just as it did with Lydia. In the same way, maybe you see yourself more as a slave girl, someone who is worthless, someone whose sins may seem like they can never be redeemed. Know that in one moment, in one second, your life can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That if God was able to change a demon-possessed girl, why can't he change your life also? That there are people in our lives that we are praying over, that we desire change for. Continue to pray for them. Continue to persevere. Know that God is able to change them. Know that the gospel is able to do a mighty work in them. Maybe it's going to happen like it did with the slave girl. Maybe it will bang into their lives like a ton of bricks, 
and their lives are going to go from zero to 100 all of a sudden. But maybe it's going to happen more like Lydia, where God is slowly but surely going to infiltrate her heart, little by little, changing it, shaping it, with Bible studies, with mentors, with people like that. God is able to do both. That is the power of the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.